My dear, 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 dear listener, welcome to In the Thick. I'm Maria Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela, and it is, I think it's Friday. Yes, it's Friday. It's Friday. And it's ITT Sound Off. <laughs> hey, what's up, United States of America? <laughs> What's up, USA? You know, while we have a president saying very stupid things like, oh, well, you know, if we didn't test, we wouldn't have so many people testing positive. We're going to give you the facts, right, which are very sad. And we do this with love. So we're going to talk about the past week of congressional hearings. We're going to give you the wrap up. We're going to start with Dr. Anthony Fauci, the top infectious disease expert in the U.S. He testified before the Senate Health Committee on Tuesday, along with other health officials from the Trump administration. Sidebar, like half of the Senate was wearing masks. The other half was not. What the hell? In his testimony, Fauci warned against reopening too soon. Hello. And also said that the number of deaths in the U.S., which as of now is over 85,000, he says it's probably higher, which we know many people are dying at home. One moment that we're going to share with you is this exchange between Fauci and Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, Mm. who, as you know, had COVID-19. And he was arguing that the schools need to be open in the fall for the sake of the children. So I think we ought to have a, a little bit of humility in, in our uh, belief that we know what's best for the economy. And as much as I respect you, Dr. Fauci, I don't think you're the end all. I don't think you're the one person that gets to make a decision. We can listen to your advice, but there are people on the other side saying there's not going to be a surge and that we can safely open the economy. And the facts will t- bear this out. But if we keep kids out of school for another year, what's going to happen is the poor and underprivileged kids who don't have a parent that's able to teach them at home are not going to learn for a full year. And this, dear listener, is how Fauci responded. The second thing is that you use the word we should be humble about what we don't know. And I think that falls under the fact that we don't know everything about this virus. And we really better be very careful, particularly when it comes to children, because the more and more we learn, we're seeing things about what this virus can do that we didn't see from the studies in China or in Europe. For example, right now, children presenting with COVID-19, COVID who actually have a very strange inflammatory syndrome, very similar to Kawasaki's syndrome. I think we better be careful if we are not cavalier in thinking that children are completely immune to the deleterious effects. So again, you're right in the numbers that children in general do much, much better than adults and the elderly, and particularly those with underlying conditions. But I am very careful and hopefully humble and knowing that I don't know everything about this disease. And that's why I'm very reserved in making broad predictions. Fauci, just thank you. You know, es que no sabemos nada. We really, you know, every time we think we know something, something. Yeah. We realize we just, oh, and that's the hard part. We don't. We just don't. Yeah. The humility. I love that, that humble line. It was just like this, like. Let's talk about humility. Julio, I think the thing about Fauci that's important when he says what we don't know, and this is just, you know, a warning uh, with love to everybody who has kids out there, right? Because now there's this other inflammatory, deadly condition likely linked to COVID-19 cases. Here in New York, I think it's up to three or four people under 18 who have died. So it's it's not going away yet. No, no, it's not. So reopening, que que, por favor. But I also think there's a balance. You have to have a balance because I also think that keeping people inside, we have to look at the whole impacts of this. I agree with you. You know what? I totally agree with you. And like open your city parks, 
open things and have people socially distance. Yeah. Because I do think after a certain point, human beings, we're not built for being inside. I'm sorry. And like the weather's getting better. But we got to do it responsibly. Actually, we need direction. Right. Like on what you can and can't do. If we've all been isolating for two months, what is appropriate? What is not? How can we be safe and ease back into being social human beings? I agree. Yeah. And then on Thursday, Rick Bright, he's the former top U.S. vaccine official. He also testified before Congress. He was removed, right? From this position, he was director of the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. He claimed in a whistleblower complaint that it was because he prioritized, quote, science and safety over political expediency Mm. and resisted pushing Trump's claims that chloroquine and hydrochloroquine could treat the virus. And here's what he said in his testimony. Our window of opportunity is closing. If we fail to improve our response now based on science... I fear the pandemic will get worse and be prolonged. There will be likely a resurgence of COVID-19 this fall. It'll be greatly compounded by the challenges of seasonal influenza. Without better planning, 2020 could be the darkest winter in modern history. Maria, as bizarre as it was to see this virtual hearing and some senators and some people were in D.C., some of them weren't. Tell me what you thought about just the last couple of days regarding these hearings. So when I heard Bright's testimony mm-hmm. and I didn't watch it live, you know, my heart just sank because suddenly, and we've been hearing this over and over again. The fact is, is that, you know, that they did have information, you know, I'm not a medical expert. I'm not a member of the WHO, but if people are saying there's a pandemic coming, I would probably listen <laughs> and hearing him talk so clearly about the fact that he was warning And thinking about the fact that in January, you know, what I was doing, you know, we're about to drop the first story that I was doing. I was reporting in Juarez for Latino USA. I was furthest thing I was thinking about was a pandemic. And they knew. And so my heart sank because I'm like, you know how many people I've lost like that I know or people who I know who I and I don't want to say the word that crossed my mind when I thought of not just. Trump, but others in his administration, because in fact, they are letting people die. People in your neighborhood, in my neighborhood. And I just felt sick. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And I also think it's important at the same time this is going on in this sort of bizarro Trump world that at least you have people like Fauci and Bright who are trying. And whether, here's the thing, there's going to be efforts to discredit them through the Trump media machine. And I think people need to see through that and understand that public health officials really know no partisan politics. And we're very lucky. So here's hoping. So let's move on to our second topic, which is actually going to be the latest from the Supreme Court hearings, because all of a sudden (laughs) the Supreme Court has gone virtual. Crazy. So on Tuesday, the court heard three cases over teleconference and they're all linked to Trump and his efforts to shield his tax returns and his business records from various house committees, as well as the Manhattan district attorney. So Jay Sekulow, who is Trump's personal lawyer, he was on the teleconference and he argued that Trump should be granted. And I'm quoting temporary presidential immunity. 
KK? Yeah, because he's not an ordinary citizen. <laughs> oh, wait, so he's the alien all this time? They were calling us the aliens. He's the alien. Gotcha. So this is how Justice Sonia Sotomayor responded to that argument. Prosecutors have ethical obligations with respect to grand jury investigations. They have to keep those investigations secret. They can be prosecuted if they leak that information. Don't we usually presume that state courts and state prosecutors act as they should and in good faith? Even if you were to assume that... If you let me finish. And doesn't the president always have the opportunity to show that a particular subpoena, in fact, was issued in bad faith? president was given that opportunity here and... Uh, a affidavit, I understand, was filed under seal, setting forth the reasonable grounds for the investigation. Uh, I, I'm not sure why he's entitled to more immunity for private acts than he should be for public acts. Well, he's the president of the United States. He is a branch of the federal government. Maria. Well, look, I love the fact that we were able to hear that. I didn't have to listen to Nina Totenberg doing the, you know, interpretation of the Supreme Court justices <laughs> in arguments. Point. I love that I could hear it. That's a good point. Right. And I loved hearing the, particularly the voices of the women and the intonation and the kind of the way, for example, Sotomayor uses the intonation and in her voice to get her point across. On the other hand, I'm distressed about what's happening because also I'm really thinking so much about the upcoming Supreme Court decision that we also don't know what the heck is going to happen regarding DACA. Yeah, that's a big one. And so for all of our DACA recipients out there who are listening, we're thinking about you. Yeah. And we know more than 200,000 DACA recipients right now, today, are working on the front lines of this response. It is in the hands of the Supreme Court. Yeah. Do the right thing. And, you know, the decision is expected. There was speculation it was going to happen this week, but now it, apparently people are saying it's going to be next week. Who knows? There's a lot of uncertainty. Being a dreamer has always been living in this uncertain, tense time. I've sensed a tension from people because I've talked to a lot of DACA recipients like sources and other people the last couple of weeks. Mm, claro. Here we go. And like you live in limbo, you continue to live in limbo. And then the whole thing about essential workers mm. in a global pandemic. And here's the thing, Maria, besides the Jay Sekulow, like, you know, I am Donald Trump, not ordinary citizen. I get to be immune. I am the dictator. Like that was obvious. Wait, wait, wait. But we do live in the world's greatest democracy. Right. Yeah. Where everyone's equal. It's a <laughs> bullshit. Right. But then to get to the DACA point, the fact that you have these essential workers, when we're talking about essential workers, so important, frontline responders. You're applauding for undocumented people. Recognize yeah, it. Yeah. And now we're going to be living. And I hate to say this. I wish I was more hopeful. But every indication, at least so far would suggest that DACA is going to be dismantled. No. And that's... No, no, por favor. You know, it's, it's not something I want to report on, but I don't know. To all our DACA familia out there, just... We love you. Love you. All right, our final topic, which sadly, you know, dovetails 
with all of this because mm. we live in a police state mm. in many ways. We, we feel that. Yeah. So this is an update on policing and criminal justice in this country during a pandemic, because we know that this hasn't stopped violence against black and brown people, particularly an epidemic of violence when it comes to black trans women. Nina Pop, a 28 year old black transgender woman from Missouri was killed earlier this month in her home. Mm. She's at least the 10th victim of anti-trans violence this year. Jesus. Muy triste. And, you know, I hate, I, I mean, I don't want to make this this part of the show where we're exploiting tragedy. No, you know what I mean? No. I, because this, I, I don't want to make it a list because these are lives, right? No. And so to talk about Brianna Taylor, a 26-year-old black woman from Louisville, Kentucky, she was killed, happened in mid-March. She's an emergency medical technician, right? And she was also working to help COVID patients as an EMT. And she was shot and killed in her home by police officers. They claimed it was a drug operation, right? Oh, please. Oh, please. You know, this is what police say, right? They said they began shooting after one officer was shot in the leg by Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, who said he acted in self-defense. But a lawsuit filed against the police department claims officers weren't looking for Taylor or her boyfriend and there were no drugs in the home. So then Wednesday, the governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, said that local, state, and federal prosecutors should look into the investigation, right? After the case gained national attention. But Jesus, like, why do... No, please. Why do you have to have the outrage? Right. No, no not only that, but just the whole flipping of, you know, well, well, their suspect. Yeah. It confirms that anti-blackness in the United States means that you are suspect at all times. All the time. At all times. So Brianna Taylor... We, pobrecita, may your spirit be upon all of us to make us better for this. You know, we talk about how policing disproportionately targets our community. So, for instance, somebody who I know, Jill Nelson, former Washington Post reporter, author, activist. I haven't seen Jill in years, mm. in years. Mm. So all of a sudden I hear that she was arrested by the NYPD, New York City, progressive city. La -da. <laughs> She's arrested by the NYPD for writing Trump equals plague in chalk really? on an abandoned building in Washington Heights here in New York City. Wow. Wow. She was held for five hours. She was interviewed on Democracy Now! this week, and this is what she said. I was walking from the drugstore down to Broadway to go to the supermarket when I saw a green, boarded up, empty for rent building. Um, it was covered with plywood, and I wrote a piece of chalk in my pocket, and I wrote, Trump equals plague. Before I could even step back, cops swooped in cut me off on, made it out, two cop cars, cut me off, jumped out. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're under arrest. They uh, searched me, asked me if I had weapons, told me to take my hands out of my pockets. It was a cold day, so I said no. Um, frisked me, shoved me into a police car, and took me to the 33rd Precinct, where they uh, put me in a cell and left me there for five and a half hours. Um, I, had to, I took my shoes off. I had a mask, a fabric mask I had made on, but I demanded that they give me one of their more professional masks. Um, they didn't allow me to make any phone calls. I was never read my rights. It was absurd, absolutely absurd, a total waste of time, energy. And this is in a community that has one of the highest rates of COVID. Wow. I didn't know that. 
Wow. Well, that's why we're talking about it because we want to give prominence because this is happening yeah. everywhere. Yeah. But when it comes to white men in the Trump administration, <laughs> criminal justice, no, que que, goes out the window. Because just last week, the Justice Department moved to drop the case against Michael Flynn. You know, the guy who pleaded guilty twice? Yeah. That guy, the former national security advisor, here, basically the Justice Department's argument was that the FBI shouldn't have investigated him in the first place. And so his lies during the Russia investigation didn't matter. <laughs> oh my God, the logic. I mean... Oh, stop. And then, of course... I'm banging my head. Okay, of course, we... You're going to give me more. Like, you're going to say something else. Well, I know. It's crazy. And here's the more. Here's the more. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Former Trump campaign chairman, Paul Manafort... <sighs> Yeah. Has been released from prison because of coronavirus concerns from a prison where there have been no confirmed cases of coronavirus. But, you know, we have to protect Paul Manafort. But Jill Nelson writing in chalk needs to sit and held by the NYPD for five hours or detain migrants who are waiting for their immigration court cases or holding them. Exactly. Refugees, civil offenses, children, the children who are still being held. You're going to keep them in these hotspots. But Paul Manafort is in home confinement now because we don't want Paul Manafort to get COVID. You know, white men failing up once again in the Trump administration. But all this while some 300 people died of COVID-19 in state and federal prisons, and at least 20,000 have tested positive for the coronavirus. And there's this new report by the Vera Institute of Justice, and it found that the prison population has only been reduced by 1.6%. Shame. Despite all this pressure to release Mm-mm. incarcerated people. And like I said before, like these Immigrants in detention facilities are still being held in jails that have had confirmed cases. Look at the case in Bristol County, Massachusetts, which is south of where I live. There was a huge lawsuit that lawyers won with plaintiffs basically saying that the Bristol sheriff and the sheriff's office and ICE, because ICE contracts the correctional facility, they did not follow social distancing guidelines. They did not follow CDC guidelines. And there's some serious concerns. There's a lot of scared people who are fearing the coronavirus in these hotspots. But hey, Paul Manafort, just walking home. And you know what Paul Manafort is going to be eating? What? (laughs) He's going to be eating, you know, meat and potatoes. He's going to be eating a roasted chicken. And I just want him to think about where that food is coming from. Oh, you just went there. Wow. Because you know what? I have a particular relationship with the governor of New York State, Governor Cuomo. (laughs) It's getting relationship complicated. No, no, no. There are things that he says that I absolutely love. I love the fact that he's talking about his daughter and all of that. I completely love it. Yeah, yeah. But you know, one of the things that he said is he was talking about like the hotspots in the meat processing plants. And then he said in New York, there's a hotspot in a vegetable processing plant. And he's like, the problem is not the plants, the food or the, you know, it's not about the beef or the chicken. That's not why it's transmitted. It's because of the density, the human density. And I'm like, you know what? Can you just say what we really need to hear, which is these corporations, these food corporations force immigrants, many of them undocumented to work side by side And to increase the line in order to do what? To increase their profits. Yeah. So, Governor Cuomo, when we are thinking about reimagine, let's think better. I'm saying, what are we going to do better for all of the people, many of them people of color, many undocumented? What are we going to do to protect them? Yeah, I know. So, Maria, I want to end with a little joy. 
Yeah. I want to share this one thing that this photo that appeared in the Boston Globe on Friday morning. Adorable. I'm just going to explain it. And the headline, it says at 101 comma unbroken. And it's a picture of an elderly man, you know, with a World War II medal and a USA, you know, veteran hat. His name is Arthur McIntosh. He's a World War II veteran of Quincy, Massachusetts, which is the town where my wife is from and the town that I border. It's right south of Boston. So here's the caption. World War II vet Arthur McIntosh of Quincy, who recently recovered from COVID-19, celebrated his 101st birthday with a parade put on by friends and family. He said the best part of recovering was being able to hug his family. Uh, Then this is this is the part where I'm like, wow. When asked what was worse, World War II or the coronavirus, he said, and I'm quoting, both. (sighs) Wow. Arthur. Thank you for taking us there, Arthur. This is. So my joy is, well, this morning I stood and I looked at daffodils in my park (laughs) for a minute. And so this weekend I'm going to take, I don't know, like a 90 minute walk through Central Park way early in the morning. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. Oh, wow. That's going to be my joy. So that's a wrap. I'm Maria Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. Remember, dear listener, go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us because it really helps. Brings us joy. Also, now you can listen to In The Thick on Pandora, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at In The Thick Show. Like us on Facebook and tell your friends and family to listen. In The Thick is produced by Nicole Rothwell, Noor Saudi, and our New York Women's Foundation Ignite fellow, Harsha Nahata. We're doing this all remotely. Our audio engineers are Stephanie LeBeau, Julia Caruso, and Leah Shaw. Our digital editor is Luis Luna. Thank you to Raul Perez for recording me. The music you heard is courtesy of Nacional Kept and ZZK records have a great day find joy however you can Mm. keep that rage in check because we need it too and we'll see you on our next episode dear listener thanks for listening happy rage i love it happy rage happy rage thanks guys stay safe the opinions expressed by the guests and contributors in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Futuro Media or its employees.